Good morning and greetings to each of you in the Master's name this morning. A week ago, here at church, we sang the first verse of Rescue the Perishing for a closing song. And I attempted to get us to go through the third verse, and we weren't sure about the words. The words of that verse are very powerful. And I want to tell you as a congregation that I feel like part of the reason why this church is here, and when I say this church is here, I mean why you are here in this church, here in Harrisonburg, is because you have a heart for that third verse. This is what it says. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried buried that grace can restore, touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, chords that were broken will vibrate once more. You can have a hand, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can have a hand in restoring those broken chords of the heart that have been crushed by the tempter. The message this morning is somewhat about that. There's a sense in which I don't like the message this morning because it's not an easy answer. But I share it with you because it is reality and because when we experience what's possible through the message this morning, we experience something that's worth the difficulty of the answer and more than worth it. I promised you a message to complete the series on roles in the church. And so the title of the message this morning is Roles in the Church, Pressure Points. What's your expectation for the church? How are we going to fulfill our roles as part of the body of Christ? How will we be the kind of church that God desires us to be? How are we going to get it done? So we talked about these different roles that we have as part of the church, as individuals and collectively. How are we going to get that done? Well, I don't know how your spiritual life has been, but there was a time in my spiritual life when I climbed very rapidly spiritually. And then it seemed like I kind of leveled off. And I started to get concerned about why it seemed like there was this level place in my spiritual condition. And I started to ask God about that and started to seek for an answer to that. And part, in part, what I share with you today as a result of that pursuit But it seems like it shouldn't be that way. And I don't think it has to be that way. But how can we keep it from being that way? 
What does God really want to do with our lives? And where does He want us to go? Does He want us to keep that upward trajectory? I believe He does. I think He wants us to, to keep moving up spiritually. The book of Hebrews challenges those that it's written to. It says, by now you ought to be teachers, but I'm still having to teach you the first principles of the things of God. And so part of how we get it done how we're going to get it done and be the kind of church God wants us to be is to not level out, but rather to continue to climb. And so in life, there are things that happen, there are circumstances, there are burdens that come, there are responsibilities, and what do we do with those things? We're going to talk about that today. And I want to tell, it, tell you that our natural tendency at least in part, when we face something difficult, is to avoid it. It's our natural tendency is to try to avoid the things that are difficult. To seek an alternate path is the reason why our churches have lost so many young people over the years. Not because of the programs of the church, but rather because they have not sensed a vibrancy that called them higher in their walk with God. Why do we seem, as conservative Christians here in America, so why do we seem so caught up in the trivial? Why has the technological storm taken us so unawares and caused and caught so many? Why do we find work in the church so burdensome? Why, even though we know relationships are important, is it so easy to avoid the difficult ones? And I know those are broad, kind of sweeping statements, and I'm not incriminating or trying to incriminate anyone with those. I'm just asking us to evaluate, is there truth in those things? I think it is. I think there's truth in those realities where there are physical there are pressures in the physical world that influence the spiritual condition of the church and i talked just a little bit about our natural tendency i'm going to give you in my title i had pressure points i'm going to give you three p words for the pressure of the world pride preservation and pleasure They are the the pressures that move the world. Pride is an inflated value of my my being, my self-being. Preservation relates to, to retaining the material aspect of my being. And pleasure is the desire to please. That's what drives the world. And that pressure is all around us to conform to pride, preservation, and pleasure. I'm going to give you three more P words. Pressures that move the church. Pain, persecution, and perseverance. And I'm going to focus 
on those this morning, those three. In Hebrews 11, it says of Moses that he chose affliction with the people of God over the pleasure of sin. The Scripture carries this idea throughout that the people of God choose a walk, choose to walk a path that is strewn with difficulty, not with pride, preservation, and pleasure. I want to read you some verses from Ezekiel 14. Beginning of verse 12, I'm going to read to 16. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, says the Lord God. If I cause the noisome beast to pass through the land and they spoil it, so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beast. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall only, they only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Three men, three men that we look to as tremendous men of faith in the Old Testament. But why these three specifically? I want to point out some things about each one of these men very quickly. Noah. Noah worked and sweated for a hundred years, cutting down trees, hewing them into timbers, gathering pitch, driving pins through those timbers. For what? Why did he do that? I remember when I was young thinking about I didn't like to work. Still don't really. But I remember when I was young thinking, you know, it would have just been easier just to let the flood come and just drown than to spend a hundred years sweating and toiling to build an ark. Why did, why did Noah care? Why did he go through all that? Wasn't he saved? Wasn't he walking with God? He found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he walked with God. He said so before this command came to build the ark. Hebrews 11 says that he built an ark to the saving of his house. Noah wasn't living on the basis of how life was right now. He was willing to work and labor and sweat for future generations. Job suffered horrifically. Suffering that it seems he did not deserve or need to be right with God. He didn't suffer because he wasn't serving God. He suffered because he was serving God. Was that fair? And despite, but despite misunderstanding from friends and family, he remained faithful to God through that suffering. Daniel began with a commitment and lived a life of tremendous self-discipline through success and challenges, both. He faced many difficult things. He faced successes. And he carried through with a disciplined life. 
spent much time in prayer confessing his own sins and the sins of the people. Why? Why did he do that? Why not just pray by his bed instead of by the open window? Why not avoid a den of hungry lions? Reason says that God can use me better if I'm alive than if I'm dead. But Daniel understood something that we need to understand. The blessing of God must be pursued. And Daniel pursued the blessing of God. Pain, persecution, and perseverance. I want to address the first two and then focus on the third. And this could seem like a depressing subject, but I have asked a couple people to share some special singing to shift the focus, hopefully, of the message at the beginning just a little bit. But before we, we do that, I want to share just a little bit about the author of the song. Annie Johnson Flint was orphaned as a young child, very young child, lost her adoptive parents in her 20s, so she was orphaned a second time, lost her dream of being a musician when arthritis made her bedfast in her early 30s. So all these dreams dashed, bedfast by the time she was in her 30s. With a body racked with arthritic pain and continual sores from lying in bed, she was known by friends as a hopeful, encouraging, joy-filled person. Listen carefully to the words she penned. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. That song calls us or points us to the fact that when the burdens get heavier, then more grace comes. When the labors increase, then there's given more strength. When we've reached the end of what we have, then God's part has just begun. We have arms to lean on that we can lean hard on. And He can both you and your load carry. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. For the hard things in life, for the things that you will face in the future, what are you trusting we pray for grace and strength and mercy and peace, but do we know from whence they come? Would Annie Johnson Flint have penned those powerful God-honoring words had the tragedies of loss not occurred in her life? She could have, by reason, been bitter and shrunk back into herself and her troubles. But that's not the God she learned to know. She learned to know a God who gave generously of Himself into her pain. Grace, strength, mercy, 
and peace. And that, my friends, is the point. To learn to know a God, to learn to know God for who He really is, the God that Annie knew. And our response to pain, persecution, and perseverance will determine the power of the church. And that means this church. And how we will fulfill our individual roles of the church in this body. Pain is the foundation of the power of both persecution and perseverance. The power, the gripping power of persecution, of both persecution and perseverance is pain. So we need to understand it first. Pain is the result of the fall. The condition of a world that's broken by sin. It is unavoidable. We all will suffer in this world. We all will experience pain. It is both a blessing and a curse. It's a curse in the sense that we were, originally, we were not originally created to experience pain. And so it's repulsive to us. And we seek to avoid it. It is a blessing because it tells us that things are not right. And because we have this indicator, we understand that all is not as it should be or could be, and so we look for a better way. So it's valuable because it brings into focus the presence of reality. Without pain, we would not see the world for how it really is, broken and separated from God. We would not see ourselves for how we really are. In the book of Job, Satan is involved in bringing pain into Job's life. And he has a purpose in that pain. And I've been astounded at how his, the purpose revealed in the book of Job is so similar. The purpose that Satan has is so similar to many ungodly people in our world today in relation to pain. His purpose in pain is to get people to blame and curse God. That's what he wanted Job to do by bringing pain into his life. Many of the people in our world today look at the suffering in our world and they curse God and they blame Him. God, on the other hand, has allowed pain as a corrective force. He's allowed it to be there. And His purpose in pain is always redemptive. He wants pain to redeem us. I don't have time to spend a lot of time on that, but I want to think about persecution. Primarily pain inflicted by others. When has the church been powerful in history? It's been during times of persecution that the church has been powerful. The Scripture links persecution to the work of the devil. Yet it has brought about a power to the message of the Gospel that has turned the hearts of many to God. I would have loved to read to you a large portion 
of what Tertullian wrote in relation to this. And some you will find very familiar, but I'm going to read only a small portion. We are not a new philosophy, but a divine revelation. Remember what I said the point was? It's about knowing God. That's the point. Learning to know the God that Annie knew. We are not a new philosophy, but a divine revelation. That's why you can't just exterminate us. The more you kill, the more we are. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You praise those who endured pain and death so long as they aren't Christians. Your cruelties merely prove our innocence of the crimes you charge against us. And you frustrate your purpose because those who see us die wonder why we do, for, they, for we die like the men you revere, not like slaves or criminals. And when they find out, they join us. Tertullian. The response of Christians during persecution. The God they learn to know. The divine revelation that causes them to endure through suffering sparks the interest of those who are also suffering and don't have the answer. A willingness to calmly and joyfully accept the pain and death because of that divine revelation. A revelation that brings strength, mercy, and peace from God. The pain of persecution divides between those who have met this God and those who have not, presenting a pure and powerful body that draws men to seek the solace found for suffering by those who have met Him. People of faith. So I have a question for you. It's the question of the sore knee. I have a sore knee. It hurts. Especially when I bend it too far and for too long. The current pain that I'm experiencing seems to be a result of several things. One of them is the fact that I jumped off too many tall lumber stacks when I was young. That's one reason why my knee hurts. Another one is because I was working this week. And the job that I was doing this week, I had to bend down on my right knee every about every three minutes and spend some time down on that knee and then stand up and work and then get down another three minutes on that knee. And then I played softball. It was a parent youth game. And Saturday morning, my knee hurt pretty bad. I was limping pretty badly. Badly for me anyway. So here's the question. Is the sore knee... The cancer, the house fire, the car accident, the theft, are they persecution for the Christian? And there are many people that say, no, they're not, because all people experience those things. Non-Christians experience those same pain, that same pain. But I would like to say this morning, not so fast. I think there are three things we need to consider in relation to the pain that a Christian suffers. 
And then I want to try to bring those back into a concept of pain as a whole and how we relate to pain, whether it is actually persecution or not. In a biblical in biblical teaching, being a Christian means that my life is translated from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That means a complete transfer of who I am, a complete transition. So that also means that everything that I experience is now experienced in the kingdom of God. And everything that I face is part of the battle of being part of the kingdom of God. The things that God allows in my life, He allows on the basis of the fact that I am His child and He is carrying me or together we are going in the kingdom of God in this world. That's one. Second, did Job suffer persecution? We would say, yes, he did, because the pain that was brought on him was brought by Satan. But what did his friends and his wife think? They didn't have the backstory. The reason we say yes to Job suffering persecution is because we have the backstory. Actually, what happened to Job were a lot of physical problems that other people could experience. The boils on his skin, the wind that blew down the house, the theft of his cattle. Those are things that could have happened to an ungodly person. But there was a spiritual reality behind the scenes that was operating. And Satan was trying to do the same thing that people are trying to do when they persecute the Christian. And that is to get them to turn away from God. They're inflicting that pain as a pressure to turn them away from God. Why did Paul include shipwreck in the things he suffered for Christ? Were those not natural dis- brought on by natural disasters? And the third thing, if through the hospitality of strangers we could entertain angels unaware, could we not also suffer persecution from a spiritual enemy in the common ailments of a fallen world. Now, I'm not saying that all the pain that we suffer or that my sore knee is a form of persecution. I'm not saying that that's the case. What I'm trying to help us to understand is that the possibility exists and it's likely that Satan will use every tactic that he can to put pressure on us. And if we stand faithful to God, Satan is going to do everything that he can to fight against us. And if he has the opportunity to do something to us that may look like a natural disaster, I think he will do it. If he feels that he can manipulate our lives and cause us to turn away from God or cause other people to turn away from God through that, But the reality is that pain brings us face to face with a decision. Am I going to continue on or am I going to change how I respond? Will I look to God and lean on Him and trust His provision or will I focus on myself and my pursuit of a path around or away from pain? And so whether the pain that we experience is persecution or whether it's part of an... Uh, of a fallen world condition 
Our response to the pain is what matters. Do we demonstrate a response to pain that caused people to say, where have they found the answer? And that moves us to the next thing, perseverance. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will... Sorry. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, there's a key phrase in there. And that key phrase is, that will. And that phrase means to be resolved and to purpose. Those who are resolved, those who have purposed that they're going to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Hebrews 12.3, speaking of Jesus, then it speaks to us. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Verse 4, ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. That word resisted there means set troops against, and striving means to fight against. So you have two things in those two verses. One is a resolution to live a godly life, and the other is a resolution to reject sin. Perseverance, the pursuit of God. So I'm talking about perseverance in the sense of the pursuit of God and of godliness, but primarily the pursuit of God. Joe, in our class this morning, in a men's class, laid a beautiful foundation for this idea of perseverance. The way of the cross is a way of pain. The cross is an instrument to bring death Not just to bring death, but to bring death through excruciating pain. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Now take up is something that you are told to do. You're you're told to actively engage with that. He didn't say wait for your cross to come to you. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus didn't take up the cross for himself. He did not take up the cross to save himself. He took up the cross to save others. Jesus entered into our lives and partook of our pain, wept with our suffering, even though it was within his power to resolve that suffering, And finally took up his cross, not for himself, but for us. Voluntarily embracing the pain that came with his service for our salvation. Willing to die. And in Christ we see God's willingness to enter into our pain. To bear pain for us. So that we can find redemption and therefore meaning and the answer to pain. 
So as we think about this thing of pain, we need to understand that pain exists. And there's two things that we can do with that pain. We can focus on ourselves in that pain. And if we focus on ourselves with that pain, we will withdraw into ourselves. We will continually go in that direction of withdrawing into ourselves. And there will be a continual loss of meaning. And that's why when someone is experiencing pain, if they adopt a victim mentality, they will continually go into self-absorption and lack of meaning. You have a culture, we live in a culture that has been able to primarily insulate itself from pain. And what are we moving away from? We're moving away from meaning and they're sinking into themselves. Or we can take this thing of pain and we can turn towards God Amen. and towards knowing Him. Amen. And then our pain can be redemptive. Yeah. We can be redeemed and we can become laborers together with God in the redemption of others. Second Peter 1, verses 1-11, through 11, this is my text. Simon Peter and a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That sounds to me like a life of victory. I want to talk just a little bit about knowledge. In John 17, 3, Jesus says that eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. And that knowing... That knowledge is, has the idea of an intimate relationship, a husband-wife relationship, close union. Here in 2 Peter is a different word used in verses 2, 3, and 8. And that has to do with a precise and correct knowledge relating to things ethical and divine. So that has to do with like the development of the relationship. So when you learn, when you become, when you're married, and you are joined together as husband and wife, you have a relationship, and that relationship is, is connected with a knowing love. But then there's another knowledge that happens in the years that follow, and that's a knowledge where you learn to know your spouse in a, in a more deeper and more full way. So this knowledge here in verses 2, 3, and 8 is talking about that kind of knowledge of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ. It mentions it twice in verses three and, uh, 2 and 3. And then in verse 6, there's another knowledge. 
And that knowledge relates to facts. That's learning to know facts, learning to know truth. So at the beginning here of this passage, it talks about grace and peace being multiplied. So that grace is initiated in John 17, 3 knowledge. When we are joined to Christ, grace is initiated into our lives. But grace and peace are multiplied through the ongoing knowledge of Jesus Christ. As we learn to know who He is in a love-faith relationship, grace and peace are multiplied into our lives through the knowledge of Him who has called us to glory and virtue. And then continued in the verse 6 knowledge. Knowing God did not remove Annie Johnson Flint's pain. But in knowing God, she found the answer to her pain. And by finding Him, she entered into the pain of others, bringing hope and encouragement to them and to us through her written words. Through the knowledge of God, it says in verse 3, we're given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need in this world of pain. Everything that you need to live a godly life. Everything that you need to face the pain of this world and come out victorious in the end. Through the knowledge of Jesus. Verse 4 says that we've been given promises through that, through that ongoing relationship. Promises that have to do with receiving the very nature of God into our being and escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust, the destruction of the world. But there's something about this knowledge that has to do with our participation. And yes, we're saved by the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith, not by the works we do. But we participate with God in our relationship with Him. And there's a call in these verses, following verses, to participate in our relationship with God. Verse 5 says, giving all diligence. And that's where I get the idea of perseverance. And I want you to watch, as we go through this, watch the progression from faith into pain. Faith. The John 17, 3 knowledge. We come to God. We believe that He is and He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And we come to faith. And He says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue here has to do with doing what is right, moral goodness. And to that, to that moral virtue, add knowledge. And this is factual knowledge. This is reading the Word. This is seeking accurate truth. If we don't know, if we don't know the Word and if we don't know accurate truth, we're not going to be able to develop that relationship with God. And so it's part of our interaction with developing our relationship with Christ. The deeper knowledge, relationship. To your knowledge you're to add temperance. This is self-control. All the knowledge in the world does us no good if it doesn't change the way we live. And so to our knowledge is to be added self-control, temperance. And to our self-control is to be added patience. 
And this word here in the Greek has to do with cheerful, hopeful endurance, steadfast perseverance. Now we're getting into words that relate to the fact that there's going to be difficult things in our path as we engage with this process of walking with God. To our patience, we're to add godliness. This is a respect towards God, a reverence towards Him, and holiness as well. To godliness, brotherly kindness. This is the Philadelphia love. The brotherly love. The cherishing love that values relationships. And add to this, charity. This is the agape love. This is the 1 Corinthians 13 love. This is the self-sacrificing love. This is the demonstration of Christ to us by whose stripes we are healed. You see how we made a progression from faith into pain? From faith of God being a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him into sacrificing ourselves for other people, engaging, entering into their pain. Because we have found an answer an answer to our pain in Christ. And in that answer, we find we want to help other people to find the answer as well. And so we're willing to sacrifice ourselves. And if these things be in you, verse 8, if they're present in your being, these things in this list, if they're present in your being and abound, if they're growing, then you, shall be, then you shall be able to reproduce and produce seed in the knowledge of Jesus. If those things are in you, then you will be able to go beyond. You will be able to grow in your knowledge. And verse 8 knowledge is this relational knowledge. This love relationship, the growth of your connection with Christ it is the place where we find, again, the answer to pain and also the grace and peace are multiplied. Then verse 9, without these we'll be spiritually blind, undirected for the future, and guilt-ridden. Verse 10, therefore, give diligence. Persevere in taking up your cross, which is your calling as a servant of Jesus Christ. It will bring you confidence of faith and guard you from failure to make your calling and election sure. Your place of, a place of confidence in your faith with God. And if you do these things, you shall never fall. We're talking about how we're going to be successful as a church to fulfill our roles and to be the church God wants us to be. And so you will be continually entering the kingdom of grace and peace. When this process is actively happening in your life, you will be continually entering in with God into the kingdom. How will we be a powerful church in an age where there is no blatant persecution? 
where there is so much opportunity to insulate ourselves from suffering? The answer is, we must persevere in the knowledge of God. And that's something that falls to the individual heart. You must, each one of you, pursue the knowledge of God. There is no other way for us to be the people that God wants us to be. I was challenged and convicted as I prepared for this message to be more like Jesus. Those words in our Sunday school lesson. Why the the sacrificial lamb, his throat was slit and his blood was spilled and that blood was caught. Why did Christ have to suffer? He had to suffer because of your conscience. He had to suffer because your conscience knows that there's a weight, a, a cost for sin. And He suffered to demonstrate the length that God was willing to go to to show you how free His forgiveness was. Are you willing to suffer to free the conscience of others? Not that we can forgive their sin, but rather that we can share with them in their burdens and in their sin. Even when they're taking a wrong path, we can still walk beside them and encourage them and hopefully draw them to the kingdom. May God help us to that end. Let's have a song.